Yesterday, more than 60,000 people in the U.S. were diagnosed with COVID-19. It's the highest number of new cases in a single day that the country has seen. And Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been helping lead the federal response to coronavirus, told me this morning that if things don't change soon, the case count could get even worse. What we were seeing is exponential growth. It went from an average of about 20,000 to 40 and 50,000. That's doubling. If you continue doubling, two times 50 is 100. It's been four months since the virus really started spreading in the U.S., and it's nowhere near slowing down. Dr. Fauci says to change the country's trajectory, people and policymakers will need to step up. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Limewalk. It's Wednesday, July 8th. Coming up on the show, Dr. Anthony Fauci on why the virus isn't under control and what we can do to change that. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. So, Dr. Fauci... We're four months into this pandemic, and you said last week we could see as many as 100,000 new infections a day. How, at this point, do you think the country can get the virus under control? We have got to just tighten things up, close the bars, indoor restaurants, either no or make it such that there's very good seating. Make sure people wear masks. Make sure they don't congregate in crowds. Make sure they keep their distance. If you do those simple public health measures, guarantee you're going to see that curve come down. It's happened time and again in virtually every country that's done that. At the same time, one extra thing, if I might add, a lesson to the other cities and states that when you open and reopen, take a really good look at the guidelines and in your quest to get things open quickly. Don't jump over the guideposts. Don't jump over the checkpoints. Do it in a measured way, the way the guidelines delineate. If you do that, the chances of getting a surge are much, much less than if you just jump over things. So it's take care of and control what's surging now in the southern states and the other states be mindful of what happens when you open up and throw caution to the wind. Because it could happen to you. Do you think states like Florida and Texas and Arizona threw caution to the wind? No, I don't want to say that because then we got a problem. Then the message is me against you. That's nonsense. So don't even think about my saying that. <laughs> what <laughs> I'm saying is that among the states, and there's admission from within, some states went too fast. Some states went according to what the timetable was, 
But the people in the state didn't listen and just threw caution to the wind. I mean, there was examples where the leaders in the state were saying, okay, we're going to do this in a measured way. And then you see the picture of people crowded at bars with no masks. So, I mean, it's a complicated issue. You don't want to be blaming people. Once you start blaming people, you get off the message of what are you going to do about it to correct it. But in New York, we had a stay-at-home order. We shut down and we stopped the spread, right? That's correct. Should those states be shutting down in the way that New York did? Yeah. You know, I think any state that is having a serious problem, that state should seriously look at shutting down. It's not for me to say because each state is different. New York did what, you know, I was in multiple conversations with Governor Cuomo and with Mayor de Blasio. And those are the things that we discussed. They did it and it worked. It worked for them. Are you having some of those same conversations now with public health officials in Florida and Texas and Arizona? You know, not each and every state, each and every person, but I can tell you for sure that both in the context of the task force where we have calls with the governors, not only the governors, uh, but also the health officials within the state, the health commissioners of individual states, because they need encouragement. They often ask for advice. And, you know, very often they follow it. Sometimes it's difficult for them because of a number of circumstances. But the short answer to your question is that, yes, we are in contact frequently with the governors and the mayors of these places. What about human behavior has contributed to this new surge? You know, I think, unfortunately, with all the good things about human behavior, there are some things that I think have really contributed to this. It works against us to take the tact that I've been cooped up so long, I'm going to just go out and let it rip. And that just doesn't work. And, you know, apropos of your comment about human behavior, one of the things that we have to keep emphasizing is that we are, it sounds, you know, maybe a little mishy, wishy-washy, but it isn't, is that we are all in this together. And that's not just, you know, a soundbite. That's just the, the reality. I've been trying to stress that by getting infected or not really caring if you're getting infected, you will inadvertently infect someone who then inadvertently infects someone. And then all of a sudden, you have a vulnerable person who you had no reason to believe that you were doing anybody any harm that person gets infected, and then you get the hospitalizations. So to say that it's benign is not true, because we're already seeing the hospitalizations going up in these states. We're seeing the intensive care beds are now almost being fully occupied. So this is not inconsequential, what's going on. It's having an impact. And as an individual responsibility, when you go out and say, well, it doesn't matter, I'm going to be okay because I'm young and healthy, You've got to get out of that mindset because you are being part of the problem. The blanket stay-at-home order in March and April seems to have caused this pent-up energy in states that were not having that surge. So people were staying inside and feeling like, why? And so they flood the bars. So should it have been more calibrated to start with? I don't know exactly the answer But I can understand and empathize with people that had essentially very, very few cases 
who were then told that they needed to lock down. So there is a point to that. Perhaps it could have been done maybe a little bit more surgically to not get people who really didn't need that degree of locking down. So I think that's something, you know, when you go back and examine how things were done, I think that's probably going to be discussed as what the pros and cons of that were. Yeah, I think psychologically it probably would have been hard in New York being locked down and knowing that the rest of the country was open. You know, there's this sort of equity issue, but there was also maybe this consequence. No, I think you're right. And, and I'm glad you put it that way, because that's a fair way to put it. If you selectively decide you lock down, you lock down, but you don't lock down, that's going to raise some eyebrows. On the other hand, since things are not equally happening in different regions, to have the same, you know, very dramatic response to it also has its downside. But, you know, you do the best you can under very difficult circumstances. That's the human behavior side of it, but there's also the public policy side. How has public policy, how has the messages from leaders contributed to this surge? I mean, obviously, it's a mixed bag. I mean, there are a lot of things that are going on in the states. Some states, you know, it gets frustrating because, not to name any states, but some states admittedly opened up too early and too quickly. So that was something that probably should not have happened that led to this. I've seen examples of other states that have actually officially done it correctly and provided the right leadership. But the human behavior and the need and the urge to just open up quickly has almost overrided some of the recommendations of the leaders. So it's a mixed bag. I mean, obviously, you'd like to see a consistent message all along that people understand. But for better or worse, unfortunately, that's not exactly what's going on. But should that be the job of the White House task force? Yeah. Well, I'm speaking to you as a member of the White House task force, and I think I'm being pretty clear at what I'm saying. So, yes, it is part of what we do. And I think you see that from me and from my colleagues on the task force. I feel like there are mixed messages on the task force, whether it's the elected officials, Vice President Pence versus you and Dr. Burks, that... Vice President Pence says things are improving and you and Dr. Burks are sounding the alarm more. Well, you know, I, I think in fairness to the vice president, the vice president understands that. But he is trying in his role as the vice president to really, in a certain sense, also point out some of the things that are going well. So he is a person who, who is an optimistic person and he's doing a very good job as the leader of, of the task force, I must say. And you're a sober person, scientist. Well, you know, I I coldly, and I don't mean that in a negative, bad way, I look at the data, I analyze the data, and I give my best opinion based on the evidence. That is something that goes into the discussion. But there are a lot of things that go into the discussion that go well beyond me and my colleagues who are primarily public health individuals. There's the issue and the need from an economic, from another standpoint to get open. So all of that goes into the mix. And then you see the kinds of recommendations that go out. But, you know, as a member of the task force, I'm telling you that we have a serious situation that we really do need to address. You said that Vice President Pence has many things to weigh, including an economic mandate. And you have a public health mandate. And that these two things need to be working in tandem. But do you think 
over the last few months that the public health people have lost out to the president's economic priorities? Uh, you know, in some respects, I'm glad you asked that question. But in some respects, I'm not because we're getting into the soundbite territory, which we're going to avoid. I can tell you that we shouldn't think of it as one against the other. Because once you start thinking there's public health and then there's the economy and opening, it looks like they're opposing forces. So what we're trying to do is to get the public health message, if heard and implemented, be actually a gateway to facilitate opening in an easier way. Instead of this, these guys are on this side and those guys and ladies are on the other side. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. We hear a lot about a second wave. Is what is happening in Texas and Florida and Arizona. Is this the second wave? You know, we've got to be careful about second wave terminology because in many respects, it's semantics. And I can tell you what the origin, just for your interest, historically, of the second wave is. Please. If you go back to 1918, what we saw was that in the spring of 1918, there were cases of this new virus that turned out to be the Spanish influenza. What happened as the summer came, it essentially went way down. It almost disappeared, which led in some respects to some complacency back 102 years ago. Then as we got to the fall and the winter, the second wave of the outbreak occurred. So that terminology has stuck. I think it's confusing for us right now, because we've had a sustained outbreak that has gone through March, April, May, June. We're now in July, and we are still way up here. So we are still in the first wave. So I wouldn't call what's going on right now in several of the southern states a second wave, because we have never gotten out of the first wave. I would call it a surging of cases within the context of a wave that never went away. So I wish we would stop talking about waves and just looking at the reality of where we are right now. Are you concerned that 
as we head into the winter, we could get another surge, a higher, worse surge? You know, of course I am. I'm, I'm a public health official. It's my job to be concerned about that, not to alarm people, but to be at least aware of the possibility, maybe likelihood, depending upon how we handle it, that that will occur. As you get into the fall and in the winter, there are going to be a couple of things that are going to be essentially working against us. One, as the weather gets cold, people spend more time indoors than outdoors. Number two, what happens every winter, like clockwork, we have an outbreak of influenza. So we are going to have now what are called conflating things of if we do get coronavirus resurging in the context of influenza, which happens naturally and predictably every single winter with a influenza outbreak, that's going to complicate issues. When we spoke in early April, you stressed that testing is key to this fight. And the country has many more tests now than it did back then. But the system is starting, it seems, to get overwhelmed again. People are waiting in lines overnight in Houston for testing. Sites in Louisiana have run out. Why is this still a problem? Yeah. You know, I, t- to be honest with you, I can't dissect that out and unpack that for you because that's not something that I'm primarily responsible for. But I hear what you're saying. And when you look at the number of tests, it looks like the number is great. And it is. I mean, the number keeps going up. But is it being utilized in a way that's contributing to this concept of identification, isolation, and contact tracing? And one of the things that is a problem, and we've got to admit it, because if you don't admit it, you can't correct it. (laughs) And that is there still is a lag of time when you get the test back. And if you're going to do contact tracing and the test comes back in five to seven days, you might as well not do contact tracing because it's already too late. You know, in, in some places it's working very well. So you don't want to get a completely negative approach to that. That's what we're trying to turn around right now in Florida, in Texas, in California, in Arizona, to dampen it down so that you could get better control of it. Given that there are these surges where there's community spread, you can't control it like you're describing with testing, contact tracing, isolation. Is it inevitable that there'll be more outbreaks in places that have successfully gotten the virus under control that are reopening. Right. So that's a cold and sober reality that we have to face, is that even though we are a large, heterogeneous country, that does not mean that we are not interconnected, because we are interconnected. We are a mobile country. People travel all around, particularly in the summer. You don't want to get in a situation where a surge in one region negatively impacts another region. I mean, I give you a point in question, is that the New York metropolitan area has really done very well. They got hit really badly. Sadly, they suffered a lot uh, with deaths and with hospitalizations. They've got the situation down now. They've gotten down to that baseline that we really feel needs to be attained if you want to continue to have good control. And they're also concerned about looking at other parts of the country in which you have surges. So what would you recommend for a city like New York, for a metro area like New York, which is in the process of reopening? 
Well, you know, I've had discussions with Governor Cuomo and with Mayor de Blasio about this. And what they are doing right now is exactly what I have been and, and my colleagues have been talking about. They have prudently adhered to the guidelines. And as what happened when there was a bit of a what looked like caution to the wind in New York, you heard the governor say, you know, if we don't stop that, then we're going to stay where we are or we're going to pull back. So what you do is you don't advance to the next stage until you've fulfilled the conditions of the stage that you're in. This is something that we put together, you know, some time ago when we put together the guidelines for opening America again. You know, we likely would have to be even more explicit about it. And there's discussions at the level of the task force of taking those guidelines that we have for opening America and, and actually fine-tuning them a bit so that the states and the cities have some really more concrete guidelines about what they should do and not do. Fine-tuning in what way? Well, in the sense of, of saying these are the specific things that you need to attain. And when you are at this level, this is what you can do and this is what you should not do. In other words, add a degree of granularity to the broadness of the recommendations. That might be helpful. It would be about, say, bars. Right, right. Or indoor dining. Right. Yeah, exactly. Things like that. So one thing we we're talking about New York as an example, Governor Cuomo paused the reopening of indoor dining. Right. Because we have learned that Outside is better than inside. Inside you got it. has been— Say that again. <laughs> That's a good soundbite. I... <laughs> it's a good soundbite. Say it again. <laughs> Outdoors is always better than indoors. Okay. What does that mean for going back to offices? It really depends on where you are and what the level of viral activity is in the place that you are. If it's a very low level of activity, you don't want to give up everything. You still should have physical separation. I mean, if you have an office arrangement that you can do it, you have people wearing masks when they can't stay six feet from each other. That's what I do right here. Like right now, I'm in a room. There's very few people that are in this building with me. But when we pass each other, we have masks on because sometimes you can't avoid being less than six feet because of the way things go and the dynamics of it. Those are the things you've got to do. You've got to be creative, fundamentally sticking with the core type of guidelines. Physical distance, washing of hands, wearing of masks, outdoors better than indoors. To the extent that you can do that, do it. If you can't, try as best as you can to be creative enough to maintain the safety of the people that you're dealing with. What's your message at the moment? We've got to get our arms around this. We've got to be stringent. We've got to relook at what's going on. And we're seeing that. We're seeing now the governors and the mayors uh, of these states and cities really now leaning in to try and get control of this. Hopefully we will. And when we do, that could be a good lesson of going forward. Remember, we all still want to proceed to reopening. We all want to make sure that the children get back to school because of the negative consequences of not getting them back to school. So we've got to keep our eye on that. Dr. Fauci, thank you so much for joining us again. It was a pleasure to talk to you. It's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me.
That's all for today, Wednesday, July 8th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.